Hello and welcome to the South Campus and to those of you who are watching online. My name is Kate Tokar and I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team. It is such a joy to get to study Judges with you for our summer series. Judges is a book full of stories of God's amazing grace toward His people Israel, despite their constant cycle of walking away from the Lord to serve other gods, then desperately crying out for Him to rescue them from the situation that they were in and the consequences of their sin, then God's amazing rescue only for them to walk away from God again. I love studying the Old Testament because it reveals so much of God's character. Some of the things that we're gonna see in Judges chapter four and five are his power, his grace, and the way he delights in using ordinary people to do his work, like a faithful and wise follower named Deborah. Deborah was completely confident in God and in his faithfulness, and we're gonna see that in these verses today. So go ahead and open your Bible to Judges chapter four. I have two teenage daughters, and when my youngest one was little, she was quite spirited, I guess you'd say. She loved to test out all kinds of behaviors and things to see what the consequence would be. So one day when she was about two, my husband and I were standing in our bedroom and she was standing in our bathroom and we watched her walk out toward our bedroom and then she peeked through the crack in the door. So we had those doors that are split and open and closed like this. And she looked through and she stuck her little fingers right in the crack even though she knew not to do this. So my husband and I, you know, we're across the room, we're telling her, don't do that, you're gonna get hurt. And so we're making our way across the room. And as we are, she, you know, keeps her hand there and looks at us very defiantly and just closes the door right on her fingers. Well, you can imagine that she was very upset that her decision had resulted in very painful consequences. And as her parents, we love her and want what's best for her. So we didn't want that to happen. This is exactly how God felt about his people Israel, except on a much larger scale. He had taught them how to stay in a safe and faithful relationship with himself, and he warned them of the dangers of turning against him. You know, the great thing about God is that he doesn't hide his commandments or give them only to us one time. He repeats them over and over. He tells his people what will happen if they do follow him and what will happen if they don't. Similar to me telling my daughter, if she closes her hand in the door, she's going to experience a lot of pain. Multiple times in the Old Testament, we read about Moses and Joshua communicating God's commandments to his people. One of the commands is found in Deuteronomy 20, 16 through 18 on your verse sheet. It says, However, in the cities of the nations, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Do not leave alive anything that breathes. Completely destroy them as the Lord your God has commanded you. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. In Judges 2-3, God tells the people, God tells them that the people would be a thorn in their side, and their gods would be a snare to them. A snare is something that traps or deceives, something deceptively attractive, and something that entangles. And the verb form of snare is to win or attain by artful or skillful maneuvers. God was trying to protect them from all the hazards that he knew were ahead. 
The story of Deborah starts in Judges chapter four, and it continues into chapter five as a wonderful song that she wrote to praise God for what he had done for them. It is beautifully written, but it also gives us more detail about what happened in chapter four. And I think if we have enough time at the end, I will perform this song for you. I'm just kidding, nobody would wanna hear that. Okay, so let's read Judges 4, one through three. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harsheth Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. So we see in verse one that the people did not obey God. Let's flip over real quickly to um, Judges chapter five, eight. And just as it said, this was not their first time. They're doing it again. So in chapter five, verse eight, it says, when new gods were chosen. Wait, that's what God had said not to do, right? And if they did, he warned them that things would go badly for them. Judges 2.12 on your verse sheet explains a little more about what worshiping other gods looked like. It says, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. So in verse two, we see that God allowed a powerful king named Jabin, who lived in Hazor, to oppressively rule over them with the help of Sisera, who led Jabin's army. Now, Hazor was one of the biggest cities in the Promised Land because it was along the trade route from Egypt to Mesopotamia. In Joshua 11, the cities that Joshua and the Israelites destroyed at God's command are recorded. In Joshua 11, 10, and 11, we learn that Hazor, its king, and everyone living there had been totally destroyed by the Israelites. So at some point, the Canaanites retook control over it. And because they had chariots, they were able to, to easily maintain control of those flatlands and force the Israelites to live in the surrounding hilly areas. The Canaanite army had 900 chariots, which left Israel at a serious disadvantage. It would have been impossible for them to rise up against the Canaanites and against King Jabin. The Israelites' lives did not look like the freedom that God had intended for them. Judges 5, 6, and 7 say, In the days of Shagmar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. So they couldn't go about their normal daily lives. They couldn't trade, they couldn't farm, they couldn't travel, and there was no justice or peace. These were all consequences of, chosen, of having chosen to disobey God. It finally occurred to them to call on God after 20 years of cruel oppression. In Deuteronomy 4, 29 through 31, on your verse sheet, we learn about God's gracious character. He says, but from there, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all of your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all of these things come upon you in the latter days, 
you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. What a blessing that God is so gracious and merciful. He knows that we will turn from him and he encourages us with the promise that he will take us back when we repent. So what we learn in this story and throughout the Old Testament is disobeying and turning from God leads to suffering. Disobeying and turning from God leads to suffering. But God is so gracious to be merciful despite our rebellion. And of course, this points to God's ultimate grace and mercy in sending Jesus who willingly died to pay for our sins and pay the penalty for our disobedience. So basically, we can choose to be on God's side and obey him and get to live under his blessings, or we can be against him and live with the consequences. Now, if we choose the first, how can we seek to obey and follow God? Do not let anything be more important than God. So in your life, don't let anything be more important than God. Let's read Judges 4, 4 through 5. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. So we're introduced to a woman named Deborah. We find out that she was a judge and that the people came to her for judgment. Some judges had actually traveled around to visit the tribes like we will see in a few weeks with Samuel. You might remember that we have learned how Moses appointed judges to help him settle Israel's disputes while in the desert. This is just an extension of that around 200 years later. The amazing thing is that she is a woman. She is the only recorded woman judge in the Bible. We also learn that she is a prophetess, which means that God would give her messages for the Israelites. So God spoke and Deborah listened. Let's take a quick look back at verse one. Were Deborah's fellow Israelites following God? We quickly learned that they absolutely were not. However, she herself was a faithful follower of God. God will use anyone who faithfully follows him in amazing ways. She trusted God, and as we will see in the upcoming verses, she obeyed God and did what he asked of her. God values women and uses us to advance his kingdom, which is such an exciting thing to get to be a part of. There is nothing more purposeful and rewarding in life than joining with God in the work that he is doing. This might be at your workplace, it could be at home with your children, in your relationship with friends and family, or in places of leadership. God will use you in amazing ways. Let's read verses six and seven in chapter four. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kedesh Naphtali and said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel commanded you, go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army to meet you by the river Kishon, with his chariots and his troops, and I will give them into your hand. In verse six, we learn that Deborah asked Barak to come to her. And it's not like he was right around the corner. So let's take a look at the map. He lived in Northern Israel in Kedesh Naphtali, 
And Deborah, so on, on your map, you can find this fairly easily. If you look where it says the Sea of Galilee and look at the southwestern coast of that, then you can see Kedesh Naphtali is near that. And then Deborah was down in the southern part of Israel in Ephraim. Okay, so if you go down south on your map and look for the purple section that says Ephraim, there is a little, you can see where her name is written and that's where she was. We learn that Barak is some sort of military leader who has the ability to assemble 10,000 men from his tribe and a few surrounding tribes. In Deuteronomy 3, 18 through 20, God had commanded the Israelite tribes to help each other conquer the land God had given them until everyone had rest and could occupy their land. Sadly, we know that this command was not obeyed. Many people groups in the land were not conquered and they very much ended up being a thorn in the side of the Israelites. And we very dramatically see the results here in this chapter. So Hazor had been taken by Israel and settled in and now they can't even freely move about. This is not what God intended for them. This was supposed to be the land of milk and honey, not the land of fear and oppression. Deborah prophesied to Barak, which means that she gave him a message from God. She told him that he was to gather men and go to Mount Tabor and then head west toward the Kishon River. And then we get to God's part. He said that he will draw out Sisera. Now remember, this is the military leader of the Canaanites under King Jabin and all of Sisera's army and the 900 chariots and God would destroy them all. So Deborah is prophesying certain victory for Barak and his men and encouraging his obedience. God answered the cries of his people with a promised victory over their oppressors. He had heard them. He was still listening despite their sin and evil ways because he promised to always be faithful. Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly says, God's heart is inflamed with pity and compassion for his people. He simply cannot give them up. Nothing could cause him to abandon them. They are his. The Israelites were his people that he promised Abraham to care for. And when we accept Jesus as our savior, we are brought into that same family and receive the same care and love. It's amazing what God has done and continues to do for us. Let's read Judges four through eight and see if Barak eagerly strapped on his sword to head out to battle. So we're gonna read eight through 11. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kedesh, and 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the Oak of Zayananim, which is near Kedesh. Okay, so Barak seemed a bit hesitant. Now on one hand, I can see him wanting to have Deborah along. Clearly she loved and trusted God and, and God spoke to her. That totally makes sense. If I were living in the Old Testament times and didn't have the Holy Spirit, I would for sure want her to come along. But when I read this, it seems like Barak may have been a little more dependent on Deborah than on God. The reason I say this is because he said if Deborah didn't go, he wasn't gonna go, even though it was a guaranteed victory and it would spell success and freedom for the Israelites. 
Some commentators are a little more gracious to Barak. Some thought that this was just God's plan that they'd be a team. Others thought perhaps he was so dependent upon hearing from God through Deborah that he didn't feel like it was a good idea to go without her. Whatever his motives, he is listed in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11:32. so he clearly had faith that pleased God. And Tim Keller points out that Barak had to have faith because he willingly led his men into battle against 900 chariots and a large, fierce Canaanite army. No leader would walk into such an obvious defeat as that if they did not trust God. And he did so knowing that he would not get the glory for the victory a woman would. I want to bring your attention to Deborah's response because I think it's easy to overlook and actually quite amazing. She was fully confident in God and she said that she'd surely go. She did not hesitate or say she'd go only under certain circumstances. She did not doubt God's promised victory or she would have never agreed to go. She knew if God didn't help them, the men would be destroyed and she'd probably be carried off cruelly and mistreated. Deborah continued to encourage Barak in the Lord. This is such a great example for us. When people are doubting God or are fearing, feeling fearful, we can encourage them with God's word. In Judges 5-7 that we read earlier, Deborah describes herself as a mother in Israel. She arose to lead Israel out of bondage and guide them to victory with God's leading and powerful help because she cared for and loved Israel. Don't you love this description of her? As a mother, you love, encourage, and want your children to be obedient to God. We will see Deborah's heart for Israel and the courage that she inspires them to have as we read on. Before we move on, I want us to think just a minute. Do you think that she developed this confidence overnight? No, she was judging Israel. She was a prophet of God. And in her encouragement to Israel and her song, we hear confidence. So she had faithfully walked and followed God for we can assume many years. Something important to learn here is our confidence grows when we follow God. Our confidence grows when we follow God. This confidence in God gives us great hope when our circumstances do not look hopeful and give us joy even when our lives are extremely difficult or painful. It also gives us the strength to face overwhelming circumstances in our lives. But how do we do this? We follow God by listening to Him through His Word and obeying Him. So listening to God through His Word and obeying Him. Don't you love Deborah's eagerness? As a woman, she had probably never been to battle or even seen a battle. And I can't imagine it had been her big dream to go to battle. But she was willing to obey no matter what the cost. She knew with God all things are possible. I saw a little sign the other day and I immediately thought of Deborah. It said, God is taking you places your resume doesn't qualify you for. So although she had been gifted in a lot of ways, she hadn't been prepared specifically for battle, but she had been prepared to have confidence in God. So let me ask you, where is God taking you that you don't feel prepared for? I want to encourage you to faithfully follow God because when we do, He gives us confidence and wisdom to do what He has planned. His plans may, may be hard or excruciating even at times, but He is trustworthy and will do good things in your life. Warren Wiersbe encourages us to obey God's will in spite of circumstances, feelings, or consequences. Now, after Barak declared he would not go on the mission unless Deborah accompanied him, 
she had some unfortunate news for him. Deborah told Barak that he would not get the glory for killing Sisera. It would have been expected that the leader of the army or group um, or someone high in ranking would get the honor of killing the commander, but this was not to be. Whether it was because Barak had he was hesitant or if it was just God's plan for how Sisera would die, it would be at the hands of a woman, which would have been extremely disgraceful for the one being killed. It's interesting to notice the word sell is used both in verses two and nine. Just as Israelites were sold by God into the hands of Jabin, Sisera would be sold by God into the hands of woman. So with all the details settled, Deborah headed north to Kadesh with Barak. And again, we see her trusting God and her willingness to, keep, to help Barak obey God. There's a little side note in verse 11 that seems like a, an odd bit of information. Heber lived near Kedesh, and we will learn that he, he had a wife named Jael. However unimportant as it might seem that some guy moved away from his people, it demonstrates God's providence. You see, his wife, Jael, played a very important role in this battle, and she was living there unbeknownst to her to, for such a time as this. So like Esther, God had placed her and before she even needed to be there, exactly where he wanted her to be. God had all of this worked out long before, just like he has our lives worked out long before. I grew up in Arkansas, but before I was born, my parents tried for 11 years to have a baby. That's a long time when you just wanna be a parent. And all the way over in sunny California, a year before I was born, a chubby baby was born and when he was 15, much to his dismay, that he and his family moved to Arkansas. We met when he was 19 and I was 18 and we got married three years later. God has blessed us with getting to raise our two daughters who are two of my very favorite people in the world. And none of that would have happened if God had not been in every single detail. And those details held a lot of disappointment for a time for a lot of the people involved. But we can trust God to know the plans he has for us and for our family and friends. He is fully in control and will work out all the details, even when they aren't what you were hoping for. And I hope today that we will all remember this, that God is faithful in all the details and we can confidently trust him just like Deborah did. And we can and should praise God for his providential work in our lives. He is all knowing and works out all things the way he wills. Thankfully, he is kind and loving and brings salvation to his people, both blessing us here in this life and eternally. Let's read verses 12 through 16. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out the char his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Harasheth Hagoyim up to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, up! For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harasheth Hagoyim, And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left, except for Sisera, the Lord in a minute. I want you to really envision this scene. Imagine that you are part of the army of the Israelites. You are one of the 10,000 that God has called to fight this battle. 
but you know how powerful the Canaanite army is and you've been oppressed by them for 20 years. They are much larger and they have many weapons and they're well-trained and they cannot believe that you would try to stand up against them. But I think the scariest thing would be watching the 900 chariots fill the valley below you. In Judges 5, 8, it says the Israelites didn't even have good weapons to fight with. It would seem from a worldly perspective that you are destined for defeat. You may never see your wife and children again, and they might have to try to survive and get by without you and possibly face harsh, unforgiving soldiers who take advantage of women and treat them horribly. This would be such an overwhelming, fearful situation because it seems like you are doomed. I think we would all need God's encouragement to move forward. I love how Deborah found Barak in their camp and gave him this encouragement. Basically, she said to him, go head to the Kaishan River. This is the day you will see God give Sisera and his army into your hand. Remember the Lord goes before you and he fights for you. You see, Barak and his men were guaranteed victory. They just had to take that first step and step out onto the battlefield. And that's exactly what Deborah encouraged them to do. They just had to show up and fight. And this encouragement is not just here for Barak and his men. We too will face many battles in our lives and God says he will never leave us or forsake us. Psalm 27.3 on your verse sheet says, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Also take a look at Deuteronomy 20, one through four on your verse sheet. When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. Take a minute and think of something terrifying that you're up against. I want you to rewrite this verse, filling in the blanks with where you need God's help in his victory. Maybe yours says something really hard like, when I, go to, when I go to war, I guess the temptation to leave my marriage and I see years of hurt and pain and suffering and it seems like too much. Do not be afraid, God is with me. He will go with me and give me strength and victory. Or maybe yours says, when I go to war against fear of the future, whatever that looks like, it could be for you, for your family, your friends or your kids, and I'm tempted to live in deep worry and it seems like too much, God is with me. He will go before me and give me victory. Or maybe you're going to war with past hurts or addiction, depression, an unfair situation. Maybe it's your work or your health or the loss of a loved one. The list goes on and on with the difficult struggles we will face in this life. As you war against these painful, scary, and overwhelming situations, remember God is with you and he will give you victory. Now, some victories will be here in this life and some will be in eternity. But praise God, because of Jesus, we have victory. We get to live in peace for eternity and we don't have to live with the consequences of our sin forever. And we are helped and guided as we live this life that God has given us now. I hope that we can all confidently face whatever battle we have in front of us, just like Deborah did. Trusting God is going before us and delights to do so. 
And although God does the heavy lifting and the miracles in this relationship, we have a part to play too. We choose to read God's word to renew our mind, which is sometimes needed minute by minute. We pray, we praise him, we thank God and recognize his work in our lives and in those around us. And just as we do these things for ourselves, we can also encourage others to do the same. Deborah encouraged Barak and 10,000 men to confidently and boldly go out against a fearsome enemy. And when I read this, I cannot help but think of Braveheart and picture her with like blue paint on the side of her face on one side. What an incredible role to play. This is one of my favorite things about her. She is an encourager, an encourager of God's truth. And she can be because she fully trusts God and know that he, knows that he is trustworthy and faithful. Everyone around us needs encouragement. Your family and friends, maybe a woman at your table, your children, regardless of their age, a widowed friend or someone in your neighborhood. Let's not overlook the wonderful way that we can brighten someone's day and encourage them in the Lord in the humble way that Deborah did. We read in verse 15 that God, God had routed Sisera and all of his men. Routed here means confused and thrown into a panic. So we've got confusion and great fear. What could cause a really well-trained army with 900 chariots on a flat piece of land to go into confusion? Let's flip over to chapter five where Deborah gives us a little bit more detail about what God did. So we're gonna first read verses four and five and then 20 and 21. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. Now let's read 20 and 21. From heaven, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon, so this is the Kishon River that we had read about. The torrent Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on my soul with might. So we know that this took place during the dry season because no army would attempt to use chariots during the wet season. The Kishon was a river running through this part of the land and you can see it on your map near the west coast. And it would have been well contained and possibly pretty dry during this time of year. These verses tell us that God fought with nature. They mention what sounds like an earthquake and he, and he must have sent a really heavy rain that had no time to absorb into the ground, but instead created a mighty river and heavy flooding. You might recall in Exodus that the Egyptians chased the Israelites in their chariots and things did not go well for them. Chariots, unfortunately, are not suited for wet, muddy, or watery environments. So picture these 900 chariots coming to a halt and being completely useless. They were stuck and verse 21 implies at least some were washed away. The Canaanites had to have been totally confused and in shock. Their plans of easily destroying the Israelites started to unravel and they were fearful because they worshiped Baal, who they believed controlled the weather. So they would have thought Baal was against them too, which would have been completely terrifying. They were crushed both physically and spiritually. I love the way that God did this. He did not wait for the rainy season so that the Canaanites couldn't use their chariots. God is so powerful. He doesn't need things to line up in his favor. He does this right in the middle of the dry season where it appears that everything will work out in favor of the Canaanite army and their powerful chariots. In verse 16 of chapter four, we saw the Canaanites placing their hope in chariots, but those quickly failed them. Barak and his men were 100% completely hoping in God. 
they had no other hope. So it was solely in God. And we can't help but think of Psalm 20, verses seven and eight, when we think about chariots on your verse sheet. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. These verses are a great reminder to hope in God alone. Everything else can fail us, but not God. Don't miss this amazing miracle here that God did to rescue his people from two decades long of oppression. No, none of this could have happened without God. Not a man was left of this formidable army but Sisera. Okay, let's take a, a quick look at the picture of the valley. So this is a picture from the Jezreel Valley. You can see Mount Tabor across the way and you can see that the mountains are really more like hills. The Jezreel Valley um, where this took part, so it's very large, it's about 96 square miles. And so we're just in a small portion of that for our study today. But it is surrounded by hills like Mount Tabor and Mount Gilboa. The valley and the surrounding hills have seen a lot of fighting. Gideon, who we will study next week, fought the Midianites here. King Saul and King Josiah both died in this area. There was a great battle between England and the Ottoman Empire in 1918. And the Battle of Armageddon that John tells us about in Revelation is thought to be fought in this flat land. So you can see how flat and open it is. It is perfect for a battlefield. Let's read chapter 4, 17 through 22. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. So he's the one that we had read about in verse 11. For there was a peace, there was peace between Jabin and the king of Haz, Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I'm thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. Now remember that we had read about Heber in verse 11, and for some reason he had made some sort of peace agreement with Jabin. We don't know why, perhaps for his own protection from the Canaanites. It may have simply been this is just what needed to happen for God's plans to work. One commentator pointed out this doesn't mean that Heber was for the Canaanites. However, it's impossible for us to know as this is all the information that God gives us. A few things to know about the tent dwelling people. The women put up and took down the tents so they were very strong and used to using a mallet and tent pegs. Something else that's interesting is that the women and men had separate tents. So this is referenced in other places in the Bible, the fact that men and women lived in separate tents. In Genesis 24, it talks about Sarah living in a tent on her own. And then in Genesis 31, we see Leah and Rachel each living in their own tent. And in this culture, a man would have never gone into a woman's tent. It would have been completely improper. Um, and he also, 
during this time, no one would have put someone else in harm's way. So he had to know that people were going to come looking for him. And she probably would not have been looked upon well if they had found that she was hiding someone from the opposing army in her tent. JL was very good at making Sisera feel safe. After he fled, leaving behind his men and the 900 stuck chariots, she gave him milk and hid him, and he actually fell asleep because he was exhausted from fighting and running. JL could have been eager to kill Sisera for personal reasons. Maybe she knew of the Israelites suffering at the hands of the Canaanites. In Judges 5.30, there's a reference to men taking women for themselves after victory. Many, many commentators gave some pretty graphic descriptions of what all this entailed. They would have done disgraceful things, violating these women, even young women. It seems very plausible that JL would have known of their treatment of women and the evil that these men were doing. It's also possible that JL knew this was God's plan. Dr. Constable describes her as a loyal worshiper of Yahweh. The Bible doesn't tell us this, but based on her willingness to kill the Canaanites, as God had commanded, this led some commentators to believe that she actually was. If you look in Judges chapter 5, 24 through 27, it says, Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked for water and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet, he sank, he fell, he lay still. Between her feet, he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. Deborah praised her for what she did. So this must have fallen in line with what God had wanted. And remember in chapter four, Deborah prophesied that a woman would kill Sisera. Also remember, it was God's plan for the Israelites to drive out all the inhabitants of the land. So this very much fits into God's plans. So here again, we see that God brought about his plan through an ordinary woman. She needed one skill to do what God needed her to do. And he'd already prepared her for that. Do you ever see God use something really random that you learned years ago for his kingdom? I love when he does that. And it's so amazing to see in Deborah's song that this ordinary tent-dwelling woman is praised for doing God's will. I love these verses because they remind me that we can trust God. He does what, he'll, what he says he'll do, and he can use anyone for his work. Sometimes we forget that and need the reminder. This is why we need to be in God's word frequently and walking in a close relationship with him. We are prone to wander. We need God directing our lives back to his way. And we need to have good, a good and constantly growing knowledge of who God is. If God's character is not familiar to you, I want to encourage you to read to discover it. God has so many facets about his character, we can never learn them all. But a great place to start is to read a book in the Old Testament. A good one is Psalms. As you read, notice in the verses who it says that God is. Maybe even journal who you see God to be. This will dramatically increase your faith in God. When we know him and know his character, we can live completely differently. We can walk in faith and hope. Just like Deborah, Barak, the Israelite men who fought the Canaanites in Jael, we can have victory when we follow God and we follow God by trusting his power and grace. So we can have victory when we follow God and we follow God by trusting his power and grace. 
Let's read verses 23 and 24 in chapter four. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of, Can- Jabin, king of Canaan. So God subdued or overcame King Jabin. And over time, the Canaanites completely lost any power that they had over the Israelites. And we learn in chapter 5, verse 31, that the Israelites lived in peace for 40 years. 40 years of peace and prosperity after living 20 under heavy oppression must have been such a gift. God had truly rescued them and given them joy and freedom in the land that was their inheritance. And Deborah was so overwhelmed with gratitude that she was compelled to write a song praising God immediately. Her song is beautifully written and full of description that did not praise herself, but God. And because it was a song, it was easy to remember and easy for it to be passed down, recalling God's goodness and amazing grace, power and faithfulness to his people. We can see as we look back over the chapter why Deborah wanted to praise God. She saw his powerful hand in everything that God did and recounted it and recorded it in the moving song in chapter five of Judges. Psalm 28, six and seven on your verse sheet says, blessed be the Lord for he has heard my voice, the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him, my heart trusts and I'm helped. My heart exalts and with my song, I give thanks to him. Deborah ended her song in chapter five, verse 31. It says, so may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might and the land had rest for 40 years. This is a reminder that all who oppose God will in fact perish. It is a curse for those who are God's enemies and it is a blessing for those who are friends of God or other versions say those who love God. To be like the sun when it rises means to live a prosperous life full of God's amazing blessings. And this points toward Jesus conquering God's enemy of sin on the cross, just as God had promised in Genesis. And when we trust Jesus, we are given God's ultimate grace-filled gift of forgiveness for our sins, and we are given eternal life. I want to share with you what one commentator said. Israel's greatest need is not salvation from foreign oppression, but salvation from the sin that led to the oppression. In the same way, our greatest need is not to be rescued from the earthly temporal consequences of our sin, but to be saved from sin itself and the cause of death that results from it. Just like God rescued his helpless people against the Canaanites, he rescues us who are helpless against our sin. Deborah was overwhelmed with praise for God because of his mighty hand of salvation. Like her, we too should look for God's work all around us and with humble hearts praise him. So be looking for God's work all around you and praise him. It's a blessing to God, ourselves and others when we praise God for who he is and what he has done. Charles Spurgeon was passionate about praising God. And I'll end with something that he said in a sermon given in 1867 about Judges chapter five. He said, we have been delivered from worse enemies and saved by a greater salvation. Let our gratitude be deeper. Let our song be more jubilant. Glory be unto God. We can say that our sins, which were like mighty hosts, have been swept away, not by the ancient river, the river Kishon, but by streams which flowed from Jesus' side. Our great enemy has been overcome. 
So let's thank God for what he did for the Israelites and what he's done in our life. God, thank you for the way that you rescued your people. Thank you for the way that you rescued us from our sins. God, we are so incredibly grateful. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to be caught up in worshiping things of this world, um, worshiping other gods, worshiping idols, putting anything before you, Lord. Would you help us to have confidence in you, confidence when those hard things that come in our life seem overwhelming. Would you give us confidence that we can trust you and that you're gonna work things out for good and that you will never leave us. God, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to study it together. And I just am so grateful for you and what you've done for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.